0: As we've been going around at all the different churches that we've been speaking about Madagascar, one thing that we realise is not, people don't seem to know very much about Madagascar. They might know a few facts. Like maybe it's French-speaking, you know, there's lemurs there, or um, they might try and quote different quotes from the movies, the, the kids' movie. Um, but the one thing um, that we've been um, telling people, one fact that we were hoping people remember, is that God is growing his church in Madagascar. He's doing a wonderful work of... Bringing in particular in the southwest of the country, in the Diocese of Tuliara, Anglican Diocese of Tuliara, um, thousands and thousands of people um, over the last five to ten years have become Christians, joined churches, um, planted new churches, um, such that the region has just experienced this phenomenal revival at the
1: moment. Countless souls around the world who do not know Jesus and can't easily access the gospel. This is the heart of mission. What small role can you play in God's big world? Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, their stories and perspectives can really help us. Thanks for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode, and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Welcome to the Heart of Mission podcast. I'm Mark Peterson, Branch Director of CMS South Australia and the Northern Territory. In our last episode, we met a missionary couple finishing up service in Africa, Arthur and Tammy. This time, it's not Africa, though it is somewhere very near to Africa, and we're at the other end of the mission journey. Adam and Avril Friend are just in the process of visiting churches and inviting people to partner with them in preparation for starting out in mission service. And they're off to Madagascar. What do you know about Madagascar, other than what you might've picked up from the kids' movie? Well, Adam and Avril are gonna help us out. They have certainly been doing their research. But in looking into this island nation in the Indian Ocean off the east coast of Africa, they've discovered a country facing severe poverty, drought, and perhaps also a sense of being invisible to the rest of the world. In fact, as their praying and giving supporters have started to mobilize and get interested in Madagascar and get committed to Madagascar, the message has been filtering back to some of the Christian leaders they're going to be joining very soon in Madagascar. In the interview, Adam is going to read these words from one of those leaders. We're in such a remote area. We're an island people, and so sometimes we think that we are a forgotten people, but that is not the case. We are not forgotten with all these people praying for us. We thank you so much. This is not going to be a small challenge for this young family, but I hope that what you'll hear loudly and clearly from them is that they are trusting God. Numerous unknowns numerous adjustments, numerous likely challenges, but in their words, God is doing something wonderful. And they are seeing going to Madagascar as a privilege and a wonderful opportunity. So let's meet Adam and Avril. Adam and Avril, it's fabulous to have you on the Heart of Mission podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Now, I understand that you actually had a mission honeymoon. I'm not sure we've ever had a mission honeymoon reported on the Heart of Mission podcast. I'm sure there's been mission honeymoons for CMS people um, sometime back in the history. But you guys got (laughs) married and literally within months you were in Bolivia on a short-term trip. Tell us, why did you do that?
2: Well, uh, it actually came about I had a lecturer at, at uni who was, a Christian doctor who'd worked in Bolivia. And he actually, in his speaking to us when we were first-year medical students, had shared with us about his mission, our time in Bolivia. And I think I'd I'd asked him, oh, could you do a mission trip for your medical elective? And he said, oh, yeah, I'd sign off on that. Um, And so it was actually three years later when he emailed me and said, I'm planning to go back to Bolivia. Would you be interested in coming? And at the time, we were lined up, as you said, to be married. Uh, And I said, would you mind if Adam came along? And that's where it started.
0: <laughs> Which, of course, was a bit of a concern for me because the idea, the, the, the thinking about going and doing health clinics when I faint at the sight of blood, that was, <laughs> that was a bit nerve-wracking. But they assured me that I could just do blood pressure. So that's okay.
1: <laughs> so tell us about that, um, that time in Bolivia because it really had a very significant impact for you, I understand. You'd, you'd been to mid-year conference, um, mission electives and all sort of things, that sort of thing beforehand but something was, was, I guess, really pretty different when you went to Bolivia for this time.
0: Yeah, that's right. So I think, as you say, um, going to those media conferences and electives as student university students, I think we were um, we heard and were compelled by that um, great picture that we see um, in the Bible from beginning to end, God gathering of people, uh, tri- of every tribe, nation and tongue to gather him all for the sake of uh, his praise and the praise of his son for their salvation and um, that, was, that was really compelling and made us go, wow, okay, mission, um, that sounds great. That sounds like something we really want to get behind, but hopefully it'll be somebody else that goes, maybe not us. That, that would be nice. Um, but uh, God didn't leave us at that point. Um, so going on this mission trip, I think was so, so helpful for us um, because uh, we, got to, we got to the end of the mission trip. We kind of looked at each other and we just said, wow, the gospel is the greatest thing that we can give. The greatest thing that we can give, and that that really came out of the fact that we spent five weeks on this trip, um, really longing to tell people about Jesus, but having not really any ability to do so. So there was, um, uh, we would we would go out into quite remote and regional parts of the country um, to work amongst indigenous groups. Um, so there was often uh, this this double language barrier between us and them. We had interpreters on the team, but they'd only either speak English and Spanish or Spanish and in the Indigenous language. Um, so if we wanted to tell anybody anything, it always just had to go through this double... Is double interpreters, um, which is just so frustrating. When we wanted to tell people about Jesus, and we keep we keep coming and seeing all their medical needs, and um, you know, be able to give them um, great help in those spaces, and we we loved being able to do that. But the whole time, we just wanted to do more. We wanted to give people um, that um, that great hope, um, that great hope of the, um, the eternal life that we can have in the Lord Jesus. Um, all, all that kind of stuff. We just, we just, yeah, we're just filled with this longing this whole time. This almost this frustration. Please let me tell you about Jesus. Um, but yeah, that it was really that kind of that heart feeling, that frustration that drove us.
1: So you've really grown in this sense of uh, conviction about the gospel need. But I guess you've learned a whole heap of stuff about mission too, and about the cultural, the crossing of cultures, and how uh, tricky that is. Just um, help us by reflecting on what that looked like over over coming years as you as you thought that through.
2: Hmm. Um, well, I guess looking back on that trip, our role as Westerners coming without language, and uh, we were, I guess, partnered with local Indigenous Christians who were doing the mission work, the gospel proclamation. Uh, each medical clinic we offered, they finished has a pastoral station uh, talking about the spiritual needs. Uh, and that was really wonderful. We realised we weren't equipped to cross cultures. Um, it wasn't our role in that setting to necessarily uh, be the people proclaiming the gospel. Um, but actually in the years intervening with uh, the training at St Andrews Hall particularly, I think I often describe it as there's things that you know you don't know and there's things that you don't know you don't know. And actually how to cross cultures is part of the I don't know how I do, what I don't know about doing that. And so um, our training at St Andrews Hall really Pushed and equipped and challenged us in not even answering all of those questions because it will be different in every culture, but actually giving us the skills and ability to be humble and see uh, see and depend on locals. And that's why in partnership is such a pivotal point of, um, yeah, partnership with CMS and the values that they have, uh, that we would actually be apprenticed to the Christians in the area that we're serving, that they would teach us how to cross cultures.
1: And this involvement, this visit to Bolivia gave you a real interest in the Spanish-speaking world, didn't it? Tell us about how that interest developed.
2: Hmm. Well, it's hard not to come away from a trip like that and not fall in love with the people that you're hmm. ministering to. And, um, yeah, as Adam said, uh, we were challenged by what the greatest need of all people are, um, and we really uh, had on our heart uh, these rural um, uh, people in Madagascar, oh, sorry, rural people in Bolivia <laughs> and um, and really felt like, uh, yeah, we were kind of seeking across the intervening years to be equipped to return or at least thinking about the Spanish-speaking world. I did Spanish at high school. Adam did some at uni. Uh, we kind of felt like we were still really <laughs> elementary, um, but we kind of felt like we were making progress uh, in the language and, um, yeah, particularly I guess all of our thinking during that time was about how could we be equipped for the Spanish-speaking world?
0: It came to the point where we approached CMS and we, in fact, um, uh, applied saying we'd love to go to Spain um, because God had given us a heart for the Spanish-speaking ministry. Um, uh, but, yes, God had different ideas for us been in that process. Yes.
1: Now tell us a little bit about that, um, that change. Um, you went through your whole time at college, didn't you, uh, before you actually applied with CMS, although you'd been talking with them uh, with us along the way. Uh, it wasn't until you'd actually already got through your, um, I guess, your candidates committee process, um, the first part of it anyway, that the first conversation happened with you about. Madagascar, tell us about how that all unfolded.
2: Mm, um, (laughs) In a sense, uh, we were told if we were thinking about uh, theological education, that we really should at least consider what theological education needs are in Africa. And um, as Adam said, we actually spent, I guess, five years percolating on South America, probably a few months percolating on Spain and uh, the ministry that CMS has through Moklam. Uh, So when we started percolating on Africa, I really thought we were thinking about it with a view, in a sense, a view to rule out why we shouldn't serve in Africa and why we should continue on the trajectory to the Spanish-speaking world. And that was not God's plan. I think that the long story short was it was a month, probably a six-month process of God working in our hearts and challenging and convicting us. And again, like all things, it's not what we bring. It's actually the gospel and what God has done in us and Mm -hmm. what God is doing in the world. So our skill set or our trajectory didn't really matter at the end of the day it's actually um the way that god had used that part of our story to equip us for a totally different part of the world and we were at great peace and excitement about madagascar but it was a strange roller coaster mm.
1: now this is a fairly new part of the world for many of us to be thinking about um, can, what can you tell us about madagascar
0: mm, um well uh so much <laughs> we um we're really excited we're really excited to go to madagascar we're really particularly excited by what god is doing in madagascar so um, as we've been going around all the different churches that we've been speaking about Madagascar, one thing that we realise is not people don't seem to know very much about Madagascar. They might know a few facts, like maybe it's French speaking, you know, there's lemurs there, or um, they might try and quote different quotes from the movies, the, <laughs> the kids' movie. Um, but the one thing um, that we've been um, telling people, one fact that we were hoping people remember is that God is growing his church in Madagascar. He's doing a wonderful work of, um, bringing in particular in the southwest of the country, in the Diocese of Tuliara, Anglican Diocese of Tuliara, um, thousands and thousands of people um, over the last five to ten years have become Christians, joined churches, um, planted new churches, um, such that the region has just experienced this phenomenal rev- revival at the moment. Um, when we think of um, Madagascar, what comes to mind is the parable of the soils that Jesus told. Um, you know the four four seeds, the, the seeds that was sown onto four soils: the path, the rocks, the thorns, the good soil. But well, we think Madagascar isn't the first soil that is the gospel is really taking hold in Madagascar. That, that is, people are becoming Christians at a phenomenal rate. You know, areas that had five churches just two years ago now have fifty churches today. Um, all all of those kind of things. But in the parable, you know, there's the three shoots that kind of stick above the surface, um, and uh, and, and there's the 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 one that's still in the thorns. There's the one that's still on the rocks. And there's the one that's the good soil that produces the hundred, the fruit a hundredfold what was sown. We think the church in Madagascar seems to be at that point of there's there's shoots sticking through, but there's so much danger for um, temptation and trial. The stony ground, um, um, uh, just, you know, the worries of the world, deceitfulness of wealth, the thorns. Um, particularly because of the the poverty context that that the church is located and growing in, um, because of the temptations to return to traditional religions, all of that kind of thing, Um, new pressures from Islam in the area, all of that um, has really brought this growing church to the point of, well, what's next? Um, Well, how is it that this church can actually grow deep roots in in the Bible, in in knowing and holding firmly to the Lord Jesus? Um, What's next for enabling this church and encouraging this church Uh, to to be that that good soil. Um, So a particularly difficult part, um, uh, a particular difficulty in this area um, is that what's in really short supply is um, uh, those who've been trained to teach the Bible. So the average minister in Madagascar, in in the Diocese of Tulliara, looks after up to between 50 and 20 churches, the average minister, that's a lot of churches, with extreme examples of some ministers looking after 90 churches. And their churches packed to the brim with new Christians, and churches, um, those new Christians facing all of the difficulties of poverty and Islam and um, return to traditional beliefs and all those things. So, why Madagascar? We see there's great God's doing something wonderful there, but there's great need and great, um, yeah, great need for more training of more ministers to be teaching the Bible and seeing this growing church, um, yeah, know the Lord Jesus and therefore hold firmly to Him. Um, through all those difficulties.
2: Uh, That that pitch, I think, is challenging and is part of what challenged us to change trajectory and think about Madagascar. Um, But the the story of how we went from being challenged and excited about the ministry in Madagascar to being convinced that we could be the people to go, um, that's part of, I guess, there's some fun um, nuggets in there in terms of what God has done in us and people that he's placed along the way.
1: Now, Avril, you have spent, what, up to 10 years or something preparing to be a doctor, and you're kind of hoping that there may be a way for you to use your medical skills uh, in Madagascar at some point. What What are some of the issues for you as you do that?
2: Hmm. I think the thing that is the biggest challenge, or at least something that I'm aware of, but I don't know how to surmount it, is that I have been trained Uh, as a doctor in a Western country with a really Western approach to medicine. And so when I see something, a physical illness, I I firstly look for a physical cause of sickness, whereas, um, or at least, you know, we think of holistic medicine, but actually if I've broken my foot, I'm actually looking for a broken bone. Mm -hmm. Um, But in Madagascar, or at least in an animistic culture, all uh, sickness or illness uh, often causes people to think of a spiritual cause and, and seek out, you know, have I been cursed? Have I got my ancestors offside? Uh, what is it that has wronged me or what wrong have I done to have this illness um, before me? And really, as a result, uh, Malagasy people, partially because of poverty and access to healthcare, but really a very big part of it is the worldview that um, Malagasy people have grown up in, so different from our own, uh, is one in which you're really uh, living in a spiritual world and there's actually so much spiritual danger that One would seek a spiritual cause rather than even think to think of a physical cause first and foremost. I really am aware that I'm going to have to be reshaped. Uh, I want the Bible to inform my worldview, not the worldview I've come from, a Western culture. Likewise, um, for our Malagasy Christian brothers and sisters, they're seeking to have the Bible inform their worldview. Mm -hmm. And so together, finding how, um, how to use medicine in a way that speaks to God's healing and, in a sense, Yes, there is a spiritual world and there is spiritual danger. We know uh, that our uh, risen Lord has victory over all spiritual powers and that uh, that is far greater than any other threat or danger. And so um, there's true hope to be spoken of in this place. And in a lot of ways, being a a doctor in Madagascar and doing it in a way that speaks to the biblical worldview, uh, I'm really excited for the opportunities it means to witness to the gospel and Jesus's healing power. I guess the challenge is how to minister, not just in an under-resourced context. Um, I've been trained as as an Australian GP in a well-resourced setting, so how to uh, practice uh, in a way that medically loves people when my knowledge is needing to grow. Um, My skill set is often dependent on the resources I have, and so um, there's lots to grow there. But I think particularly how to grow in a way that preaches the gospel but not just the hope um, that we have in face of sickness and for healing, but also actually the hope that we have when there isn't physical healing, when uh, when children still die, when there's actually a hardship that uh, can't be surmounted. And and that's kind of the part that scares me because I know that's kind of challenged me the most as well. Uh, my worldview as a Western person uh, really needs to be critiqued by the Bible in finding my hope for all of life in the resurrection and the life that we have to come and not just in our physical being here. Um, but that's going to be really hard because I guess in Australia, when those bad things happen, that really racks us because we, in some ways, come from a culture where our death is wrong. It's it's not part of where the trajectory is headed, but it really is. And um, in Malagasy culture, death isn't wrong. It's actually part of where we're headed. Um, but we both need to hear the hope that we can have in the face of death, knowing that Jesus has conquered death.
1: Now the animistic context in which they're operating, it, it's not a picture of a, a gracious, gentle, caring God, um, and yet you're coming with a message uh, that God is caring and will listen to our prayers, and in fact it has the is the power that is over any of the spirits, uh, and yet you're also trained as a doctor to focus on the, I guess, the physical needs and the, and the specific things in front of you. I, I guess we need to pray a lot, don't we, that God really will actually show his kindness through healings. Are you are you going to be praying for healings? Because that would be a great proof of the caring nature of the God who actually is over. How do you approach this, Avril?
2: <laughs> I'm very thankful for local Indigenous Malagasy leaders that we're coming under Um, and uh, for the way that they will teach and train us in that setting. We've already spoken a lot with the principal of the college that we're joining and um, had our understanding informed by him and the bishop. And we're really thankful that they're faithful leaders seeking to shepherd their flock. And we're often describing ourselves as resources to be used by them. Uh, But yeah, in in a way, actually, I need to challenge my own faith and and, uh, yeah, come to God with earnest and bold requests for healing. Um Bertier, the principal, was actually describing to us that healing and um, the resurrection, the truth of Jesus raising from the dead, isn't a hard truth for a Malagasy person to understand because in a culture where the spiritual world is real and um, where these, uh, yeah, I guess complexities of what that entails um, means that some things that we can't wrap our heads around are actually much easier for them, but the difficulty of actually trusting God in all seasons um, and, yeah, having perseverance to hold fast even when it's hard. I can't, we've not endured the hardships that our Malagasy mm. brothers and sisters do each day, mm. living very much day to day. Uh, I can't fathom, and I've got a lot to learn about how to continue to trust him in those contexts.
1: Okay, so uh, tell us about the um, the, the, the work you're gonna be doing, Adam. You're gonna be teaching theology. It's a discipleship, um, uh, a discipleship goal. Um, yeah, I mean, that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of people to spend time with. How will you work out uh, how to do that? And I guess to some extent, you don't have to do that straight away because there's, there's going to be language learning and there's going to be, uh, yeah, kind of understanding the culture and so on. So you've probably got a few years to work this out. But what? how are you thinking that's going to unfold?
0: Well, first thing to say, I suppose, is I'm glad that I have, um, as as everyone's mentioned, there's a great uh, team of local Malagasy um, leaders who are already there, um, who are already thinking about all of these things, and have great, um, uh, great wisdom, and um, have thought even now quite strategically, um, long term about how they can be, um, yeah, u- using the resources that they have and some help that they've got, including us coming in, um, uh, to to meet the needs of this growing church. Uh, so. Uh, in particular, things that they've shared with us that, we'll, that they're hoping that we'll be involved in. The first one is the, the work of teaching at the, a theological college in Tuliara. So coming, uh, and, um, uh, coming on faculty with the, the, theology, the theological college and teaching in particular biblical studies, so New and Old Testament. Um, the Mal- um, Malagasy brothers and sisters say that, um, that those are particular perceived strengths of um, people trained in Australia um, to, to come and teach those things. Um, but also one other thing is um, there's, that's that's kind of the long-term um, um, plan. So grow more leaders to send out to this growing church. But there's also great short-term needs. So there's there is still currently a, a great big number of churches, and there are people leading all of those um, all of those churches today. Uh, so how is it that we can go and develop resources to help those those leaders now um, care for all of those many different um, yeah, new believers. So, particularly develop, the development of discipleship resources. There's some programs already in use, and so it's just a, a case of refining those, rolling them out, um, thinking about how the, we can adapt them for the Malagasy context. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to be involved in supporting the team there as they look to do all of those things. Um, and yeah, as you say, it'll be a little bit of time before I'm able to do that language and culture learning. But yeah, grateful for whatever whatever work to that end that I can be doing. Yeah.
2: I think that's also why we're so excited about the long-term focus of CMS keeping us there long-term so that we can spend time learning before we can, I guess, contribute in a way that's more effective. We're going to be stripped of our uh, capacity to speak even um, before we can actually aid and be assistants in that um, view.
1: Now, the other big factor in all of this is that you've got two little ones, um, both under the age of three at the moment, and you're looking at, did you say both under the age of two at the moment?
0: Yeah, Caleb yeah. is 22 months and yeah, Anna is nine months.
1: Okay. Uh, so what <laughs> you've obviously been thinking through what does it look like to raise our kids in a poor country? What, what, what do you think the impact of poverty is going to be on your kids and the impact of living cross-culturally is going to be?
2: Mm, I think we've thought long and hard about this when we first applied to CMS. Being parents wasn't part of our identity and um, becoming parents really meant that those questions were uh, heavy on us and Mm. particularly shepherding these lovely uh, little children and, uh, yeah, it is scary taking them to a poverty context and a place that is so foreign to us. Mm. Um, We've actually been so encouraged and challenged and God has grown our trust and taught us a lot about him as the loving father as we do. Uh, Firstly, that he's a better father to our children than we could ever be as parents. Mm. uh, And that also we're not actually in control of their lives, whether they take place in Australia or overseas. Uh, And so really coming to trust um, as we face those things that we perceive as challenges and hardships, coming to trust that God is sovereign over them. Mm. And I think actually for me, it's been a challenge to my responsibility and ultimately to my trust in the gospel. I'm not God, I'm not in control, and yet I so often seek to take more responsibility and think that I am more important for things to happen than they actually are, and it's the same in being a mother. I am responsible to care for them and shepherd them and be faithful as a parent, but actually I'm not responsible for their health or their salvation. And so as those things scare and petrify us, um, we actually, any context, any culture, we need to trust and submit them to God and be prayerful for our children in those spheres. Um, I think we're actually, we've come from a season of thinking about the challenges because we're leaving family, we're preparing risk management plans for illnesses that could happen, et cetera. But actually, as you've asked, Mark, there's so many joys and privileges that we anticipate our children having, Mm -hmm. growing up in a culture that uh, really, um, as Mark 10 tells us about the rich young ruler, um, there's, uh, and Peter then goes on to say, oh, surely, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. And actually... The point of this story isn't that we've given up anything that we already had, but actually we're all poor at the foot of the cross, and that we all need to depend on Jesus for our salvation. And so, taking our children to a context where they are surrounded by poverty, and um, I guess there's going to be so much culture shock for them and for us, um, and maybe even as they grow up in that culture, they're going to be so shocked to return to Australia. Um, There's going to be so much that they're privileged to see in Mm. how the gospel is sufficient and how actually we're all poor and we need to live like the Malagasy people and depend on God each day for all of our needs. I guess the temptation in the West is that we don't. I can heat up the food, uh, cook the food that I have easy access to. Uh, I don't need to think about my day-to-day sustenance, but actually uh, we really we really want our children to learn from the, the Malagasy Christians as they uh, seek to live amongst them. and, and In a sense, they're going to grow up probably thinking of themselves as uh, more Malagasy than Australian, although uh, it's a really weird cultural in-between and CMS have really helpfully prepared us for that at St Andrews Hall. Um, But yeah, we're excited by the joys and privileges that we have, but that our children will have as well, serving in Madagascar.
1: And you are in the middle of your initial home assignment, which means you're visiting churches and you're raising support. Um, how's that going? Are the churches generally um, kind of finding this uh, um, something that they want to get behind? Are people committing to pray and give for the mission that you're uh, hoping under God to be doing?
0: Absolutely. Um, so we are halfway through our church visits. We've done four weeks so far. We've got four weeks to go. And can I say it's been so, so encouraging. Um, uh, we've met so many people. Particularly new people, new brothers and sisters we've we've never met before. But to hear them go from I don't know anything about you and I don't know anything about Madagascar to boy oh boy, am I do I feel a burden to be praying for, to be giving towards, to be caring for you as you go towards, um, and and longing with us. It's just been so wonderful to hear their prayers, um, hear all these people again. As I say, twenty four hours before they had knew nothing about Madagascar, but now they're praying so um deeply um, for these people um, uh, and and we yeah, are with such a such a wonderful heart so it's been it's been great to see uh, our own love for madagascar um be matched by the love for madagascar that we've seen in others but also their love for us as they ask us lots of really good and helpful questions um and 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 sit down and pray with us and all of that kind of thing um, it's been great. We and, and and we actually were able to encourage the people in Madagascar with with this recently. So we caught up um, with one of the local leaders over there, um, and uh, we told him that they that um, all of these new um, kind of partners had begun to pr- in Australia had begun to pray for them, and were really excited to pray. And I, I felt, if you if you don't mind, I'll just quote to you what he said to us in response. He said, "It's." It's incredibly encouraging to hear that that that, that these um, brothers and sisters are praying because we are in such a remote area. We're an island people, and so sometimes we think we're a forgotten people, but that is not the case. We are not forgotten, with all of these people praying for us. So thank you so much. Um, that was that was that was such a lovely encouragement, f- um, for him a, a great encouragement for us as we um yeah as we go around and we see already the impact of. Um, yeah, these new partners um, yeah, partnering with us to see yeah, Madagascar, um, know Jesus and, and, and hold firmly to him. So.
1: Now, one of the questions we ask uh, regularly at the end of uh, our interviews is just um, asking you to, I guess, put yourself in the shoes of where you were, um, you know, five years ago or, or more. And, uh, you know, and say, what would you say to the person who's at that stage, the person who's maybe doing a medical training, Avril, or maybe doing uh, law, as you have done, Adam, um, you know, what, what would you say to them about how they might um, think about how they use their gifts and training for Christ and his kingdom?
0: I think it's been, what I'd say is God will use what you've got um, for his glory, wherever you offer yourself to. Um, we just even talking to the local leaders in Madagascar. We mentioned we've got I've got a legal background, and they said, "Oh, wonderful! You can help with canon law and all, all this stuff." Or you can, and Avril, we've got medical. Great, amazing! You can you can help in these things. And oh, do you happen to know anyone who's an agronomist? We'd love to talk to them. Or do you happen to know anybody who's this? We'd love to. They if uh, the people the Church of Madagascar. Or I'm sure all over the world, if you offered them your skills, they would find a hundred places, a hundred places for you. Um, I, yeah, I, I think there's there's great. We're so well resourced here, um, just to to be thinking about how, how it is that we can be uh, using these this wonderful wealth of resources in the service of yeah brothers and sisters all over the world for the sake of partnering with them to to see um, yeah see their churches. Growing to see their the people growing to know and love the Lord Jesus. Yeah, I, I really encourage you to be thinking about them.
2: Mm, I think it in some ways it feels really ordinary that uh, as Christians we're all called to be on mission wherever that is, and so whatever skills God has given us, uh, He will use them, and there's nothing we can do to thwart His plans. And so, yeah, as I've I feel like I'm still presently wrestling exactly how medicine will play a role in our ministry in Madagascar but really have been challenged and God has grown my trust, I don't actually need to know. I think being faithful with what he's given us and being willing to do what he's asked us to do, that is to share the good news, uh, he will show you how those skills will be useful and whether that's explicitly clear or whether it's something that you look back on in a few years' time and say, oh, I can see how that training was helpful. Explicit or implicit, uh, God is faithful to use you and, um, yeah, we're just vessels for his glory and we're so thankful for the way that he's worked in us uh, to ha- allow us to see that now, but it wasn't always something that we saw and we're really eager and anticipating uh, the many ways we'll we'll see him use those things in the future.
1: Adam and Avril, you are such an encouragement. It's so refreshing to hear about the way you are uh, seeing the big picture of the kingdom, um, the way you've uh, really opened up your um, options and been willing to think about going somewhere completely different, probably quite challenging. We will be praying for you over these coming years. We do pray that God uses those gifts and experiences that he's um, equipped you with um, that um, so that his kingdom might grow. Thank you so much for being on the Heart of Mission podcast.
0: Thanks for having us, Mark.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Heart of Mission podcast. What small role can you be playing in God's big plans? To find out more about CMS and opportunities that might be there for you, search us on the web to find your local branch and local social media channels. CMS is a fellowship of Christian people and churches committed to global mission. We work together to set apart long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ for a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.